2: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McKusick uh, here tonight to continue our set of positional reviews for the 2020 Ravens. Tonight, the inside linebackers, and we're joined by a very special guest, Gabe Ferguson, all the way from L.A. Uh, you know him better from The Situation Room with Jordan Coe, excellent podcast that comes out the night after Ravens games. And what kind of schedule you guys work in the offseason? So we are kind of in a hiatus right now. I think
3: we wanted to have one going up, you know, probably like once a month until things get a little bit more interesting around the draft and the kickoff of free agency. I think we'll start being a little more active, but um I think yeah, it's going to it's going to be something probably closer to once a week once we get into the main of the off season around the draft time and then it might slow down again in the dead period and pick up again once we get closer to the, the start of the season.
2: All right. All right. Very cool. Always worth a listen over there. It's on out on uh, filmstudybaltimore.com, the website. Uh, Give that a check out. And I think you'll like these guys. They know a lot about football and they're they're very good uh, conversationalists. They do a great job. Very uh, listen-worthy show. You know, we're going to talk about Inside Linebacker tonight. It's certainly a young position on the Ravens. It's one where I don't look forward to this draft and say they need to draft another inside linebacker because they spent a ton of draft capital on it in 2020 with Queen and Harrison at one and three.
3: Yeah, I, I think this is probably the one position on the team that might not get any influx of talent in the in this coming off season. I mean, you, you might see someone as an undrafted free agent or as a late round pick that they like, um, but it's probably not a player that's going to see much playing time. It would probably probably be like a fringe roster spot at best outside of the you know players currently there.
2: Right, I I, w- I would agree. I mean, if it was anybody, it might be a special teams linebacker or something. But yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't really see uh, very much. Uh, let's just start going through the players one at a time. Start wherever you like. I, I have a, a guess as to who is the first inside linebacker you want to talk about. Yeah, so I think um,
3: Patrick Queen is the is the player that comes to mind immediately, just because um, there was there was a lot of talk about him throughout the season, um, a lot of hype leading into the season, a lot of ups and downs during the season. Um, I think he might be the Ravens player that was talked about more than anybody else aside from Lamar Jackson last year. And I think that, you know, that comes with the territory of being, you know, the inside linebacker that the Ravens draft in the first round and the kind of expectations that come with it. And then when he stepped on the field and the the play wasn't quite where, you know, some of the fans were expecting, I think that uh, led to a lot of conversation.
2: Sure, I mean, there's there's certainly a lot to say about his rookie season, and and you know one of the things that was always touted about Queen was trajectory, coming out of LSU, big trajectory during his I guess what it was his junior season where he left, right, just wasn't even the starter at the beginning of the year, worked up to having a, a you know, a really good bowl game, and then the following year we're 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 talking about a player who. Splashed a lot early in the season, but frankly, didn't play very well against Kansas City, for example, in some of the other games and improved in some ways throughout the season as it went along. Uh, How do you temper the trajectory discussion? How do you approach that?
3: So, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this, and I think inside linebacker in general is a tough position to come in and just hit the ground running um, and and really take a big role immediately. Even some of the, you know, highest-rated inside linebackers come into the NFL and struggle. Um, And I I think there is definitely a learning curve to the position, more so than a lot of other positions, just because of the different responsibilities that come with playing inside linebacker. A few things I like to remember about Patrick Queen. You already mentioned he didn't have very much experience playing the position in college. He didn't even start for a full season at LSU. He's also very young. I think he came into the league at, before he turned 21. I think he was still 20 when he was drafted. So he has you know, a lot of things going for him in terms of the potential upside. And then just to natural learning curve that comes, as I mentioned, with playing inside linebacker. You have to learn all the different coverages. You have to learn your run assignments. You have to learn blitz assignments. Um, It's honestly a lot to take on as a rookie, especially in a weird COVID off season that you had as a rookie. So you didn't get the normal kind of rookie install that someone would get coming into the NFL. So I think all those things suggest that, you know, there is a lot of potential for him to grow in the second season.
2: Right. I mean, I I certainly agree with the potential, and I like the tools that are there. What I hope that Patrick Queen doesn't do this offseason is go into it with the expectation that his trajectory will improve without a lot of additional work to improve. And you know, he's he's failed in two major ways as a rookie, and there's other ways in which he succeeded. Let's talk about those first, because I always tell people about the ways he's failed. But he played 81% of the snaps as a rookie. Ray Lewis, by comparison, played only 67% of the snaps in 1996.
3: Yeah, I mean, he took on a huge load as, as a rookie, and it's it's something that, I mean, we saw from CJ Mosley, he kind of took on a huge load as, as a rookie linebacker. He, I think, excelled a little bit more than Queen, he also had a lot more experience and he also came from a system that was pretty similar to what the Ravens run in Alabama. So you have a kind of a very different level of experience and honestly, um, probably a little bit more like physicality to him than than what Queen has. Um, So I I think that the tools that he did have were really on display at times. You saw his speed at times, the sideline to sideline, the ability to kind of run down plays. I think we saw that range. And I also think he really excelled as a pass rusher. Yes. And when he was moving forward, um, attacking you know, the quarterback, um, I think that's where he was at his best
2: as a rookie. Yeah, absolutely. Down downhill rushing the passer, finding that gap, finding the how to exploit the the rusher in front of him. He did very well on that. Uh his because the Ravens have such good coverage also, he did good job on terms of what he did on his cleanup play. So he had a couple sacks that way. One of them very notably was against uh Uh, Carson Palmer, I guess it was. Not Carson Palmer. You know who I mean. Joe Burrow, Mm -hmm. uh, which was the sack fumble uh, early in the year that a lot of people remember. Nice square hit, middle of the back on a very overheld ball. Uh, It was a big positive. So uh, there were lots of good plays from his rookie year, and I don't want to take that away from him. I, I didn't think he was as good downhill as a run defender. He wasn't terrible and he was good at times, but the problem was that th- there were just too darn many missed tackles. He had one of the highest missed tackle rates of any inside linebacker. Um, one thing that I like to say is if you is you go up from level to level, level um, one players hardly ever miss. It's very, you know, if you're a, a defensive lineman, you get your hands on the ball carrier, you usually bring them down because of your big weight advantage and strong hands and whatnot. And they, you know, they focus on those things as the Ravens. Very few missed tackles. Linebackers miss more uh, they have to play more in space. They have to do make more difficult tackles, uh, you know, in the open field, but still should not miss that many. He missed every six tackle.
3: Yeah, there's a, there's a few different metrics um, you can look at. Different sites um, look at it differently. Um, I think the total number of missed tackles is 21, which is which is a high number. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, linebackers in general are going to have the most tackle opportunities, so they're going to have the most missed tackles of, of any player on the field most likely, but I think, um, pro football reference has him at like a 16.5. Right. That's Um, what I'm looking at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a a tackling efficiency. So like you said, one of every six tackles he's, he's, he's not making, which is something that you would really like to see cleaned up, um, in in the off season. And that's, if there's one area that you want to focus on that, that might be it. I think that kind of goes hand in hand also with, with the run defense and also, um, there's there's some similarities there and some differences because run defense is also understanding your keys mm-hmm. and understanding, you know, filling the right hole, that kind of thing. That, I think, can be learned and, and taught as part of, of, you know, just becoming an NFL player. The tackling is something that sometimes is more of a will and, like, there is some teaching there, too, potentially with, like, the form and things like that. But also, I think there's some physical nature to it that he's going to have to improve in as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. There's elements of both. And and it's often cited for young linebackers that they try and use their shoulders and their pads too much and don't use their arms enough to tackle. And I know that that's something that, uh, you know, Queen uh, being a little undersized, he's got to use everything he's got to get that guy on the ground. It's not going to be as natural as it is for him, as it is for Harrison, say, to get guys on the ground. Now, Harrison's also, I think, a good form tackler, but but Queen being a little smaller, it's always going to be a little harder for him, and he's got to use the extra assets. If he, This is a place where positional coaching this offseason would be a huge thing for him to do. And I, I, I think maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but but do you think that, uh, that Rob Ryan is a person who stands to help him a lot? So he definitely has,
3: you know, the coaching experience. I mean, obviously, he comes from that coaching tree. Rex is his brother, obviously, exceptional defensive coach. Um, You know, Rob Ryan's kicked around the league a bit more. He's been in a a few different places and a few different roles. Um, He's had some good defenses. He had some bad defenses. um, But he's definitely going to bring, I think, a hard-nosed kind of mentality. I, th- I think, you know, he and Wink, I think, have coached together before. Um, it might have been the other way around. Wink might have been coaching under him, if I, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure about that one. But I do know that, you know, they kind of, I feel like they're similar in nature and similar in what they're going to expect from their players. And I, th- I think that's something that could, you know, yield dividends for the Ravens if, if they can get as much as they can out of, out of their young linebackers.
2: Right. Now you hear about Lamar Jackson's offseason plan and he's gonna spend time with Josh Harris again, but I haven't heard anything about Patrick Queen's offseason plan and Rob Ryan's not allowed to work with him for a certain time. That's the way the uh you know the, the collective bargaining agreement works is that is that they want the players to have time off, you know, do internships if they want in broadcasting and stuff like that. As much as that would be the right thing for a lot of players, maybe a player, particularly in their 30s, who the game of football has slowed down a lot for them, at least in terms of what they need to read of a key and whatnot, that's fine. For a player like Patrick Queen, between year one and year two, this is a critical development stage. He needs to get better at tackling, at at, at learning his keys, and very importantly, he needs to learn how to understand more about what's going to go on behind him in the passing game. He improved as the season went along, I think, in terms of some of the speed needed to cover. You know, we saw some wheel routes covered pretty well, including one where the ball was dropped right in there. But I think the speed is there. I think that that the problem is that he really has no idea how to impact passing lanes because he doesn't read it off the line of scrimmage where those routes could be going in levels two and three.
3: Yeah, so you mentioned that he has the physical tools. And I think that's a good place that you can start at in terms of, you know, just the ability to be both physical as a linebacker and also fluid and in and, and coverage. And I think that's something that I saw on tape with him when he was in college. But I think the issue when he got to the NFL was his head wasn't up to speed with where his body was, and he didn't understand – route concepts. He didn't understand what quarterbacks were doing. I think quarterbacks found it very easy to move him off the spot um, and kind of manipulate him in coverage at times. And I think he's going to have to really study film and learn from his own mistakes and maybe, you know, turn on film of some other linebackers around the league and see what they're doing the right way in order for him to improve in that manner.
2: You know, if we look around the league at other linebackers who are drafted in the first round, a lot of them have taken mangus jumps between year 1 and year 2, and Devin Devin White being the best example in 2020. Of such a jump. Now, Devin White was the number five overall pick. Mosley was the number 16, I think, overall Great. pick. Yeah. So uh, those guys were drafted higher. There was an expectation that they would be better. Queen's a more raw prospect. He's obviously missed some missed some preseason games. He's also uh, missed some OTAs from his first year. So I expect him to be a little bit behind those guys at a minimum going into year two, but he's got to make a big jump. And part of making a big jump is committing to his craft. And, and I just... You know, I can't say it enough. He needs positional coaching this offseason in the worst way.
3: Yeah, I think that's something that he would definitely benefit from. I'm honestly not sure what that kind of position coach availability is out there. Like, I know quarterbacks is kind of like the position you think about as Mm -hmm. like the place to get the coaching. I'm not sure if inside linebacker has as many well-known people out there
2: that are coaching up players. They've got to be there from a supply and demand perspective, at least. There's got to be. I think so. I mean, do you think the Ravens couldn't pay him? Patrick Queen has to pay him, but do you think Ray Lewis would do it? Do you think he could tell him, you know, what he's looking at when he sees, you know, here's the slot receiver and here's the split tight end on the other side. Here's what they might do behind you, kind of. I just, I have to believe there's any number of players that. Okay, I'll give you the baseball example that I would, I would associate with this. Charlie Lau was someone Bill James identified as being somewhat of a charlatan. So he got in in good with a lot of the Royals' young hitters, particularly George Brett, before it was really known just how good he would be. And he went into all this theory of hitting and then basically let them do whatever they wanted to do. And when they turned out to be great, yeah, well, I did that, you know, kind of thing. That, there are so many good linebackers out there who used to play the game who would love to do that. Now, it, that may make it hard to sort through, who's good and who's bad in terms of coaching, but but they're there. I mean, there's lots of people who'd love to teach him how to play linebacker.
3: Yeah, you just have to hope that he, you know, has the desire to go out there and find that teaching. And that's one of the things that, um, I, it's one of those hidden things that we, you don't really get to see as a fan I guess one of the things that's scouted when, when you go into the meetings with the players and you know try and dig into their character and figure out how much they really love the game what, what, what how much do they really want to be the best that they can be um, and I don't know that about Patrick Queen uh, you know I've heard good things about him um, I, I've heard that you know he studied hard in college and, and kind of went from like a a part-time player to being a full-time player because he studied film and really tried to get better and better. So you hope that those are characteristics that are intrinsic to him, that he's going to apply as an NFL player as well. Um, you know, we just, we just don't know at this point, we've seen one season of him. I think there was some progression in terms of him improving over the course of the season. So I think that is a positive. Um, but the, you know, the year one, to year two leap, that's, that's still up in the air. And I think like we've said, there's a lot of, you know, raw upside with him, but, we won't really know until we start seeing it.
2: Yeah, looking forward to it. So, you know, I don't want to beat on Queen because I am I want to be thrilled about every Ravens draft pick, and I don't think the Ravens would have gone and taken him where they did when they had plenty of other needs, including a safety that was available there, Xavier McKinney, who I, I really loved. They had plenty of other needs at the time, and they took him. Usually, I think... Man, that's got to be a great pick because they they obviously see something that's that's way more and in their system and whatnot. So I love that pick. J.K. Dobbins at fifty five would be even a better example of that because they didn't need a running back, not really, or they they, they maybe they thought they did and, and they were they happened to be correct, but they but they got a guy who was absolutely outstanding.
3: Yeah, and I think they definitely had him targeted. I mean, as somebody that they liked at the end of the, at the end of the first round, if he was still there, and. You know they did have a bit of a need at the linebacker position. And the previous year, there was you know two guys who basically they they waved out the door and said goodbye. We don't we don't want to bring you around. One of them was traded. One of them was was not interested in bringing back in free agency. That's Owasso and Bynes. Absolutely. Oh no. Um, I was thinking Owasso and uh, Kenny Young, who they traded, and then and then well, Bynes, who they
2: like walk. Yeah. So Owasso and and Bynes is, and and for that matter, um, board they flushed the toilet on the yeah. inside linebacker position after week four, and they picked up Bynes and Fort. And it, was it surprising you, at, at all to you that they did not re-sign Bynes because the, the price was not high?
3: Yeah, that, that was one of the big question marks that I had in the offseason because he wasn't going to be expensive, um, and maybe they didn't— see him as you know kind of a full-time player for them and I think Bynes might have wanted that I think he got a little bit more play in Cincinnati than maybe the the Ravens were willing to give him um, but that's that's really the only reason I could think for him leaving is you know them not committing to him as being like a starter for them
2: all right He did start all 16 games I'm just trying to see what percentage of the snaps he played this last year because that's a really interesting thing 72 percent of the snaps it's the highest he's played in several years so, uh, yeah, in fact, he's only been above that once in 2015 at Detroit. So, uh, OK, I, I, I buy that as a as a reason he might have gone. Otherwise, boy, I can't see a good reason to go to Cincinnati instead of Baltimore.
3: Yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to consider, considering the, the Ravens obviously coming off a great season, 14 and two. Bynes was a big part of that. You know, they played really well once he got inserted into the lineup, and he seemed like an obvious player to keep around um, and, and be someone who could be you know, that veteran leader in the in the linebacker room. But I guess, you know, they felt, they felt better about Fort and his kind of th- ability to play on coverage downs maybe, and that's, that's kind of the reason that they, they decided to stick with him and, and not too much with Pines.
2: Right. Each each of them, though, it was a stark contrast with the guys they had early in the season who same problem as this group is they basically didn't know what was going on behind them. But Fort and Bynes came in and right away they're making plays on the football going over the middle where they're not covering the person. It's just a lane breakdown. And, you know, Bynes had those two interceptions, both of them great anticipation plays in terms of moving to where the football is going to be. Uh, you know, it just it was night and day and and uh, boy. The Ravens need to find a guy, at least, who can do that. Right now, Fort's the best on the team. Uh, they don't really play him on coverage downs. It's really boards down to play. And that's a, you know, it's an interesting choice that I think the Ravens have made, and and hopefully they'll they'll find a guy, and hopefully it'll be Patrick Queen, frankly, uh, who jumps up to a higher level. Yeah,
3: absolutely. I think that's what they envisioned when they drafted Queen as, as a first-round pick, because I don't think you take a linebacker that high unless you really consider him to be a true three down linebacker who can r- really impact the game in, in all aspects.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, it carries its own set of risks, but, but hopefully they're right. And hopefully they can play three downs. I don't think there's a question right now. I, I don't think Chuck Clark is within two years of losing the green dot unless he gets hurt. I put it that way. Probably, fr- frankly, for the rest of his contract. Uh, I, I just I wouldn't see it happening.
3: No, he, he's just too valuable. He's not going to come off the field, and he he's so smart. Like he mm-hmm. he really d- deserves to have that that role as the captain on the on the field. And I don't see them taking that away from him.
2: Anyway, a green, a Queen, a guy who I guess might be the backup at this point to get the green dot, but I think the actual guy, it would probably go to Elliott if something happened to, uh, uh, to Clark at this point. And obviously that's a concern for the Ravens for another night is, is their depth at safety is a question. Let's move on here. Who do you want to talk about next? So I think I'd like to talk about, you know, Queen's
3: rookie mate, uh, Malik Harrison, who um, I thought had a really solid rookie year. And a lot of the things where Queen kind of struggled was where Harrison really shined. And he didn't play nearly as many snaps. I think he played maybe about 30% of the snaps on the season.
2: Yeah, Um, one sec, go ahead.
3: Okay, and the thing that was most impressive about him was just his tackling ability. He was on the opposite end of the spectrum of of the failed tackles that Patrick Queen had, and we'll talk a little bit about Chris Board, who also struggled in tackling. Um, Malik Harrison, if you look at... Pro Football Reference, they have him as two missed tackles on the season. Pro Football Focus has him at one missed tackle, and he's actually their most efficient tackler in the entire NFL and all qualified linebackers, Malik um, wow. Harrison was. So that's the kind of season he had in that, you know, just, you know, rough, kind of steady linebacker. I don't know if he really shined in any one aspect, in his ability to cover or rush the passer. I did think he shined at times as as a run defender. He could really take on you know a blocker in a way that the other Ravens linebackers are not capable of doing. And I think I think he's a player that really deserves a,
2: a longer look at getting a lot more snaps in his second season. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And and a, another player who boy it'd be great if he could learn a little bit more about coverage because the, the 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 run stopping that he provided was at was at a very high level and it showed up in the downs that he played as well so 27% of snaps but if you look at his at his snaps by down played 173 first downs 84 second downs 23rd downs and 11 fourth downs so a lot of 11, by the way the 11 fourth downs going to be a lot of short yardage right. so it wouldn't be too surprising they'd be in there but the 23rd downs is very low relative to the first and second downs. So, uh, you know, he, he was a two-down thumper. That's what the Ravens exactly thought they were getting. Now, they were kind of playing him out of position at the will linebacker spot because they want Queen to grow into the Mike spot, which is one of the weird things, because if it ever determines that they just say, well, we can't live with this from Queen in coverage on third down, I think Harrison might become the Mike. I think they might switch roles. Yeah,
3: I think that, he definitely has that skill set. You know, he played the Mike in college. He also played some, some strong side linebacker in college as well. So he has, you know, both of those abilities. And one of the things that I thought was interesting a little bit was the Ravens did use him a little bit as an outside linebacker at times. It wasn't a lot. The, but I think, you know, he was out there a handful of snaps, um, you know, kind of playing the tr- more traditional outside linebacker. Um, and it wasn't as a really a pass rusher role, but kind of as a as a player, like you said, on early downs to seal the edge. And he, he did pretty well in that, in that job because I think, you know, he has good size for the position. He's like 6'3", I think around 255. Um, and he he moves pretty well. He's someone I think that they can trust, you know, at least dropping in coverage into the like kind of the short shallow zones. Um, he's not going to be someone you want to, um, you know, be, you know, covering a, a tight end or a running back in space. But I think um, he's not really awful in that job. So I think that he does have some, you know, flexibility to him. And like I said, he's someone I think could definitely, you know, earn some some more
2: snaps in this in this year. Right. At his size, I probably do like him a little more, more in the downhill game as a pass cover guy, meaning He's out trying to shadow some running back in the flat. As the ball's in the air, he's he sees the you know big uh, bullseye on the on the center between the numbers of that of that uh, uh, potential receiver. I like that a lot better. Even when he has to get through traffic, I think at his size he's going to do a better job with that. Particularly if it's tight end and wide receiver traffic, uh, you, know, you know where things can happen. You can get. Disrupted and not get to the get to the ball carrier. So uh, I I like Harrison. I like him a lot more as a run defender. But but I do think like you, I guess that that it it does. He's kind of more of a natural Mike, and, and maybe that's where he ends up for the Ravens, or maybe he ends up with more of a of a, a pseudo edge setting role that allows you to do some funky things at the line of scrimmage, even on early downs.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens manage these two second year linebackers and. Like you said, maybe Patrick Queen starts playing a little bit more Will, which I think he is more naturally mm-hmm. fit at, and then Harrison plays a little bit more Mike. At, you know, at some point the draft capital kind of goes away, and you have sure. to look at their <laughs> at their play, and you have to see where they fit better. And maybe bringing someone like you know Rob Ryan can have an influence there, and he can say, you know, why are you got why are you playing these two out of position? You know, switch switch them up. And and that doesn't mean you have to take Queen off the field necessarily on coverage downs, but allow, you know, Harrison to play his best role and allow Queen to play their best role. And then you have, you know, a really strong duo for, you know, hopefully for several years to come.
2: And wouldn't you say even theoretically you only have four years where you've invested in that draft capital? Actually, I guess it might be five with Queen because you got the extra year you can buy and whatnot. But but it's a declining option. And you know, in some theoretical way, if you're going to maximize the value of that option, you think it's something different from their original positions. Sooner is better rather than later. So you know, they've they've had a year to watch them. It it, it seems to me everything we talk about in terms of Queen's game. One of the best things we talk about is pursuit. Whether it's late in a pass rush or you know going down the line of scrimmage, playing sideline to sideline. You know, words like that are pursuit words that were the pursuit phrases we're using there. That's a wheel linebacker. That's yep. one, you know, one gap behind the play. That's 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 what they do. So it's it it makes all signs of sense for him to be in there except it would restrict his snaps significantly from where he is right now. Yeah,
3: and and I'm not sure what the coaches are thinking about that if they're willing to take him off the field more than what he showed as a rookie. Um but i'm thinking maybe he has a shorter rope as as a second year player and if he still kind of fails to make some of the plays that where he was failing as a rookie then you see him you know being pulled out and you know i think we even saw that in the tennessee game i think he made Mm -hmm. a couple of mistakes in the playoffs and he got yanked for a series Um, played
2: more than uh not than him but more than he had previously in the previous games against tennessee so and and
3: harrison was in there a lot too
2: I think we'll give the snaps here in just a second for that Tennessee game. But anyway, I think you're, you're absolutely right on it. So uh, Queen did end up playing 41 snaps and did lead the linebackers. But Fort in that game played oh only 14. Maybe I have the wrong game here. And Harrison played 27, which, by the way, makes a ton of sense given yeah. the, the run, run offense you're talking about.
3: Yeah, and I think you know that might have been part of the reason why they they had Harrison in there so much because at least in that game they recognized you know he has the skill set to be stout against a run. Tennessee's going to run the ball, you know that's what their foundation of an offense is. So having Harrison out there makes makes perfect sense in that game, and even in the previous uh, Tennessee game in the regular season, one of the most fun and you know i thought impressive plays of the year was i don't know if you remember this one or not but harrison you know basically blew up a screen play where he kind of he tackled henry who'd gotten the ball but he also tackled a guard who was blocking him at the same mm-hmm. time it was it was one of the coolest things i've ever seen and this is just you know a linebacker who's probably the same size as the running back and he's 50 pounds less, less than the offensive lineman and he takes them both out like mm-hmm. he is someone who is not going to lose ground and he's someone who i you know, is is really impressive with his physicality. And he has a sense for a leverage and, is, and he has heavy hands. He's just someone that I think you want him in there.
2: Getting some reverb from your mic there. I think it might be your cord wrestling against it. Sorry about that. Um, uh, I, I think you're right about that. I want to take you back to a point you made just a couple of minutes ago, which was maybe as a short at le- th- least this year. You played 80, 81% of the snaps effectively, 809 this last year. Up or down, higher or lower? in his second year for Queen?
3: I'm going to say lower.
2: Okay. I would not be surprised with lower either. I think that it's more of a by-committee approach. I'm not sure Board is going to be a guy that gets a ton of snaps this year either, but I think part of the thing is going to be the Ravens are going to go back to more dime defense. They're going to find that safety. They're going to play more dime. Board, I'm, I'm sure that means that'll cut his snaps fairly significantly, but they still have Ford on the team. They may use him more judiciously on passing downs. And uh, and it won't necessarily be all about Queen and Harrison can can get more opportunity.
3: Yeah, and you know I think that can lead us potentially into the next guy, who I wanted to talk about, and and that is um, Board uh, Chris Board, who I think had a a different role as a linebacker mm-hmm. this year. I mean, you've talked about it before as the proxy dime back. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ravens didn't really have that third safety this year. That they wanted to put on the field. I think the thought was that it could have been Jimmy Smith, but then injuries at the cornerback position mm-hmm. caused Smith to have to play cornerback a lot more than what I think they had anticipated. And also, you know, maybe they found that, you know, he's better suited at playing cornerback. That's really what his, his best spot is.
2: Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's, it's a combination of both factors. One is they immediately needed him as the fourth cornerback, which I could have predicted, but the, but the problem also was that Jimmy Smith isn't really physically cut out to play safety at this point in his career. And he, he worked, he made it through the season with a lot of injuries uh, to get to the finish line. And, and they, Played very well. He was excellent when he played, but but uh, boy, I just I just don't think he's ready to play safety. And I don't I don't think he can come back this year. If the Ravens, I think, are depending on Jimmy Smith to play safety, big mistake. Go out, find that nice cheap safety in a late round, make that Ozzy Newsom, the safety you like that nobody else does. Could be the next Deshaun Elliott. And then go ahead and stick him in a dime roll and and, and see what you got. I, I really hope Geno Stone would be that guy, but unfortunately no.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I think they, they took a shot on Stone, thinking that he might fit into that role. Um, didn't work out, but, you know, late round pick, can't hurt to take those shots, and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Um, you know, moving forward, there could be a veteran that, I mean, the, the Ravens tried a number of different veterans, and mm-hmm. that safety position kind of has that dime pack, and that none of them really stuck, Um Maybe they find someone in, in this in this offseason that can come in for cheap and, and play, you know, 400 snaps for them in, in that position. Um, I don't think it's Anthony Levine at this point. I think he, right. he's past his, his prime in terms of, you know, someone who can take a good number of snaps. So it's going to depend to see what the roster looks like. They definitely need some depth at safety regardless. And whether it's someone you can count on to be a regular part of the rotation, that's yet to be determined. But that will also determine, I think, what board's role is on the team next year, because if, if he can't, you know, fill that, you know, proxy dime linebacker position, then I'm not sure where he fits into the game plan because he's not a great run defender. He's not necessarily a great coverage person. He's just kind of kind of has that, you know, blend of potential that he can play in, in, in a few different roles.
2: Right. And, 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 you know, I've been over this on some of the other shows here, but he's a classic Ravens special teams player that they'd sign for two years and then move on. But he, he's not a guy you can tender right now with an RFA. I think they either have to sign him for two years under a Levine McClellan type deal where he's going to play special teams and they and they hope for a defensive role for him. Or you can, maybe I have to let him walk, and so I think that the if if I were handicapping this, I'd say the highest probability of all is that the Ravens will sign him for two years right now, and the lowest probability is the Ravens sign him for one year. I think he has a better chance to play somewhere else for one year, um, or, or 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 for play somewhere else. Period. Let's say because it could be on a multi-year deal uh, after uh, you know we decide whether or not he's tender.
3: Yeah, you think maybe like a two-year, three million kind of.
2: Contract. That would be the range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the bonus needs to be even that big. I think I think he he's a guy who can make two hundred and fifty thousand more than the vet minimum over two years, and that's the kind of deal that Levine and McClellan got. I think it's appropriate for board. Uh, it recognizes his value as a special teams player. It gives him two two years guaranteed. I think it'll hopefully give him some of the financial security he wants for a lifetime. Uh, not all of it, but uh, you know, he's a, at this point in his NFL career. Chris Board is at a crossroad, and and he he probably is never going to be a regular from what we've seen through three seasons. I don't think he's ever going to be a, a starting NFL linebacker. Fair?
3: Yeah. No. I was just going to say it's hard to see any team, the Ravens or any other team out there, who sees him and says, yeah, that's someone that we're going to plug in to be, you know, either a starter or like a, a major player for us um you know maybe there's someone running a 4-3 defense looking for a will linebacker that's Mm -hmm. kind of probably his his best fit on a non-ravens team um but i'm not sure even there if he's, he's shown enough to be someone you can really count on to be a consistent um performer and probably special teams is his bread and butter i think right
2: so, so a, a guy who's already performed at a Pro Bowl level on special teams then becomes somewhat of an NFL nomad because he's not an automatic re-signing for the Ravens. The Ravens can't continually sign people for two years unless they also make a contribution on either offense or defense. And even like Chris Moore, they had trouble activating him this year, even though he was healthy for some of that because he just didn't contribute anything to the offense. He was only a special teams guy. And we made this point a couple of times on the shows, but the impact, the importance of kick coverage has come way down in the NFL over the last few years. It's just it's just not that important anymore. And you know the the kickoffs in the end zone, the kicking team has all sorts of choice about whether or not they pooch or not from the forty yard line. And they can they just say, well, we don't like our coverage that much, or we don't like our chances to pooch, or we don't like who your return guy is. We're just going to kick it in the end zone, and give you the ball to twenty five.
3: Yeah, it's definitely harder and harder to, to make your money in the NFL just being a special teamer. I, I think, like you said, you have to have some type of contrib- contribution you can make um, outside of that, unless, of course, you're one of the specialists. But um, it, it's, it's probably going to be someone that is going to be like a UFA who just came or com- coming in off a late-round draft pick is going to be that person because you can pay them less. So yeah. there's no need to pay someone off a second contract to be a special teamer.
2: Yeah, and that said, because Chris Board's the cream of NFL special teams players, I th- it's very easy to see him playing six more years in the NFL at effectively the vet minimum plus the you know veteran benefit kind of level as well. But he could—I mean, it's not bad to play six more years in the NFL and make six million dollars. There'd be nothing wrong with that if you know most of us were in the, that position. It's not an easy life, but you know, it's not like the op- the other option is on the table for him to be a starter.
3: And, and if the Ravens did keep him, I, I, I think he does have, like, some role in, in the defense. I think he can play if, if need be. Um, I think he showed a few things as a, as a pass rusher. Um, he was decent mm-hmm. in, in that. Um, you know, he wasn't highly productive, but I think he got in for a couple sacks. Um, he has some, you know, decent ability to, like, you know, shoot, for, shoot through the gap. Um, in coverage, I don't think he played very well. Um there were a couple of times where I saw him, you know, looking good in his ability to cover someone in man, but a lot of times he was also looking lost. Um, he kind of had that Patrick Queen, not quite sure what he was doing out there moments. Yeah. Um, and then I, I would just say, on, on the tackling, I mentioned it earlier, but he he and Malik Harrison were literal opposites end of the spectrum. Um, I think he had like a, he was even worse than Patrick Queen in term in terms of the the tackling efficiency. I think it was like a one in five. Um, every tackle opportunity it was a missed tackle for him which is
2: whoa you're right which is
3: bottom of the barrel
2: 22.5 percent, so misses. misses that's basically two out of nine tackles he would miss that's that's quite bad um I, I you know, I had another problem with his play is that I don't think he has the same kind of downhill recognition when his coverage is downhill I mean he has to cover the running back or somebody on a flat route or whatever that might be it plays all in front of him and he doesn't seem to get there quickly enough so it's not. I don't hate the guy. I think he could, he he could take another step forward. And you know, he's missed a fair amount of time due to injuries in his first two years. So in a lot of ways, he was repeating his rookie season in year three. Um, you know, that's not true, is it? With Patrick Board, he he missed. He didn't play a lot of defensive snaps, but he did play thirty-one games in his first two years.
3: He he was mostly just out there in special teams then.
2: Yeah, yeah. Who am I thinking of? Who who fits Alaka? into that map? Yeah, maybe that's right. Okay.
3: Yeah, because he, he might have played a few games, and then I think he got injured two years in a row. All right. All right, so well. He, I was just going to say, Alaka is still on the roster. Like, he's someone who who potentially could take that, that role. Um, I think he'll be going into his third year. Third year. Um, so he might be the player that the Ravens have as that fourth linebacker, special teams contributor guy.
2: Could, could be that and you know obviously some of that will be dependent on on how much they like him on special teams but I uh, you know once you get into year three it's it's time to think about restarting the clock resetting the timer and and getting a, a rookie who can give you option value that might play out over several years and the Ravens always love UDFA linebackers and finding a bite so he's got to be a hell of a lot better than whoever that next UDFA they really like is
3: yeah I mean they, they... Kind of leads right into another player that played a little bit for the Ravens mostly special teams and that's uh, Christian Welch right who they picked up mid-season I think in week five or week six and he basically came in and was one of their special team aces like right from the jump Um, and he didn't play much on defense but I do particularly I do particularly remember him shining on a few different special teams kick coverages out there Um, so he definitely had a role in that plays. And he might be someone who they think could develop as a defender too. So he might be that, you know, that fourth linebacker who they keep around.
2: Yeah. Good special teams here. Uh, you know, kick coverage was there. And what was remarkable about him, and this is a kind of indicator I look for, is he kept not only his spot on the roster, but also his game day activation week after week after week. When the player, the, the Ravens had other players they took chances with Sending him back to the practice squad. I'll give you two right off the bat: Geno Stone and Will Holden, and they lost them both. But Christian Welch, uh, they they kept on the roster that whole time when when he he could have been a cut. He could have been a guy they sent back to the practice squad and, um, and did, But he he came up, and it, by the way, he did have a number of he did have a couple of practice squad elevations before he was. Added so I'm not sure the Stone situation is an exact mapping, um, but but he did come up f- uh, for the final time and in, in he was activated the, f- the roster after the Pittsburgh game, the first one at home. So uh, interesting. Um, uh, you know, certainly played well enough on on special teams to 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 stay around. But you know I, again I just don't know if that role is important enough. But if you're if you're talking about where you are with these two players, you got Welch two years behind board. Who, who gets the better chance to make the team this next year?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's a legitimate question. And, and you know, it might be just whoever looks better in the offseason. And maybe you don't even give board the chance if you don't bring them back on a mm-hmm. on a one-year, two-year deal like we talked about. And then it's between Alaka and Welch and some other, you know, rookie undrafted free agent. And you kind of just say, you know, go out there and, and make the team. Show us what you, what you can do. And, I, you know, Welch has good size. I think 6'3", 240, like... You know, he's a size to play linebacker. Um, I don't know if it's if he has a skill set. We haven't seen enough of him on the field to know that for sure. But, you know, if he can play good at special teams, then maybe he can develop into that position.
2: Yep. He still has time on that rookie deal. And that's that's the biggest asset on his side, I think I'd say. We didn't talk too much about L.J. Fort, just a little bit in passing. Anything to say about him?
3: Yeah. Oh, I was going to say last but not least, I think he had a really good season for the Ravens. Um, I think he was their most reliable linebacker. Um, You know, he's the veteran of the of the group. Um, So some of that reliability might come from the fact that he's been around a little bit. Um, I think he was definitely the the Ravens best coverage linebacker. Um, You know, he had a, you know, a few hiccups here and there but definitely the most consistent they had uh, especially when he was dropping into zone um he has really good instincts you know ability to kind of react to the play in front of him and, and drive on the ball um you know he showed some ability to chase down the quarterback at times I, you know I, I remember we talked about him specifically in that buffalo playoff loss where he was maybe the ravens best defender on the field in that game oh yeah um and you know I think the Ravens have him for one more year. Um, maybe he's he's another guy who sees more snaps on defense than he what he saw this past year. You know, We talked about Harrison seeing potentially more snaps. I think Ford could see more snaps. You know, I think he earned them after what he was doing when he was on the field. So I, I really like what we saw from him. He's not someone who's probably going to be a long-term player for the Ravens, but I think he could offer a lot next year.
2: Yeah, I agree. And, and he much more meets the Levine... McClellan standard of what it takes to be a, a a core special teamer for the Ravens. He's a he's a great special teams player who plays an important role on defense. So he's the guy I think you try and extend at this point. He he actually got an extension that's a little better than that, um, and it's actually sitting out there with a fair amount of cap dollars aside. It seems to me this would be another time, even though he he he'll be thirty one this season, um, where you look at. Uh actually j he was already thirty one, so he turned thirty one on January third. But you but he'd be a guy that you sign to a you know, two or maybe three year deal right now to spread some of that money out, give themselves a little bit of cap relief in twenty twenty and uh and maybe keep him around because he doesn't have that much total NFL tread wear, despite the fact he's been kicking around the league for uh nine years now. Yeah, that that's something I was
3: just gonna bring up, the fact that even though he has been around for a long time he's kind of balanced from team to team he was mostly a special teams player earlier Mm -hmm. in his career Um, I think he played about a full season's worth of snaps going into this season so the total wear and tear is probably pretty minimal Um, he still looks fairly explosive on the field I would say you know he has that that ability to close Um, he looks good in coverage I think he's someone that is definitely worthwhile, you know, that extension that you're talking about. I would definitely like to see that happen. If it's, you know, in the cards for, for any of the kind of Ravens, you know, older veteran type players, he's, he's definitely one that could could be a good option for that.
2: Mm-hmm. So, the, so if I take the sum of snap counts, and this might not be perfect because in 2019 he split duty with two teams, but if I take the sum of his, his snap counts – Percentages. it only adds up to 1.11. So that means effectively he's played 1.11 NFL seasons in a nine-year career. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's not, not very
3: much at all. I mean, you, you can t- toss in the special teams. I'm not sure if that's part of the, the snap count or not.
2: No, these are defensive.
3: But, you know, maybe that's that adds up to being like, you know, two to three seasons of total wear and tear, and that's— I don't know if he's had any major injuries that I can recall. He might, he might've earlier in his career. He hasn't since he's been on the Ravens. So Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, a lot of, you know, potential good things when you're looking at someone who's older, he might not, you know, have that old body that someone like, you know, like a Josh Bynes had for instance.
2: Yeah. I think he, you know, obviously he, he really knows his assignments on the field. In some ways it would be really nice to have LJ Ford in that inside linebacker room just to, You know, be a big brother to some of those very, very young players otherwise. Yeah, I think that that veteran leadership matters.
3: Um, I I think we've seen that time and time again on the Ravens, across the NFL. Like, having someone who's been there, um, who's seen that, who can be on the field, you know, as a coach at times as well. You know, telling Patrick Queen where he should be lining up and what he should be looking for. I think that has value to it.
2: Now... This year, this proxy dime has been bothering the hell out of me. And you know, part of it's the fact that Board wasn't playing that well. The other part of it is that I think always your third safety should be a better cover guy than your second inside, second best inside linebacker in terms of coverage. And especially in terms of understanding what's going on behind him, because that's the safety's job is basically to understand where the pass is going, be able to read the quarterback to do that. Um, it just shocked me that, that you know, with street options available— and and there are always guys. They, they they brought in Gilchrist, they had other guys they they rotated through the roster. Gilchrist is really the one guy that they use most in those situations, that they weren't able to bring in a guy at any time during the season to go take that position.
3: Yeah, I think it's definitely a surprise to me considering just how much they used the safety in that role the previous season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and Thinking back to 2019, it wasn't even a safety who was playing that role. It was a cornerback who they converted to play safety who was in Brandon Carr who mm-hmm. and who did a, an admirable job in that in that role. And I, right. I know we talked about Jimmy Smith thinking that they envisioned a similar role for him potentially in 2020, but still, you, you have a position in your defense that you've used very well, um, I, th- I think – in, in Wake Martindale's defense, and to kind of abandon that and really just give it to a linebacker who wasn't that suited to play that role was mm-hmm. kind of Oh, surprising.
2: It, it was very strange, and and you make a great point there. This is a really key point. Brandon Carr did it, but Brandon Carr doesn't have to play the true dime position in that because it was really mostly Clark moving up to play that play that second inside linebacker spot, which is the dime back role, and Carr playing a lot on the back end. They used Jimmy Smith on the back end early in the year. They used Gilchrist early in the year. They obviously figured that didn't work out. There was a long pass down the left sideline. He he may not have made the right move on, but. I'm just, I'm bothered that they gave up on what I consider to be the Raven way and went from a year where they had 42.1% dime snaps. and Their defense was very dominant to a year where they had something like 16% for the whole season. And the the defense definitely suffered under those conditions.
3: Yeah. And, you know, maybe part of it was just a matter of looking at the personnel that you had and wanting to use them. Um, you know you you just drafted these two rookie linebackers and you want to put them on the field and have them out there a good number of snaps you know part of that is you want to see what you have and part of that is you think you have you know talented players and you think Mm -hmm. they can make plays for you so i do think that that personnel or lack of personnel in 2019 is part of this decision making process because if we go back a year they didn't have the linebackers you know you said they flushed the toilet and got rid of two of them, basically, mm-hmm. you know, mid-season, with getting rid of Young and and putting you know Anwasu kind of in like a, a mi- minority role. He also got hurt, yeah. um, but then you you said, okay, we can have Josh Bynes out there, but you're coming off the field on 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 third downs and Fort you can kind of be out there as as the one linebacker, mm-hmm. uh, and that was it. And and this year they decided that they were going to really put more pressure on that linebacker position. And I I think it, you know, it hurt the defense overall because we saw the, you know, the missed tackles that they were making. They weren't really that great in coverage. So, you know, what's the purpose of having them
2: out there? Right, I agree. And and you know, from a franchise building perspective, it's easy at GM and it's really easy on Twitter to basically say we need to address every one of our needs. And inside linebacker is a need. Well, inside linebacker was a need, but There's also the question as to whether they could get away with not spending a lot of money at inside linebacker. Because if you're going to spend a lot of money on your secondary, and you're going to spend a lot of money on your defensive line, and you're going to spend a lot of money on your quarterback and tight end pretty soon, and you're going to spend a lot of money on your left tackle, you have to figure out where you're not going to spend money. Is that running back? Okay, fine. Is that inside linebacker? That might be enough between those two positions. But then you dump a mess of draft capital in the inside linebacker spot, and, it, and at running back, frankly, for, for that matter as well, that's really contrary to some of that strategy. You're either going to have to pay those guys or you're going to have to let them go after one contract. And I just, I, I don't like either option in terms of really spending a lot of draft capital on those spots.
3: I, I, I agree with you in the draft capital perspective. I will say one thing about the kind of the team management thing. And I think the whole Earl Thomas situation mm-hmm. was unexpected. And I think they might have envisioned having someone like Deshaun Elliott as being that, you know, dime yeah. safety who could have been really effective in that role or, or as, you know, the third safety who's out there making plays. He can kind of play in the box. He can play deep. He has that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Then when he was forced into basically being the starting free safety, that really changed things a lot.
2: It, it did, but, but I'm just – if you look at the whole history of the Ravens getting dime safeties, it's never been hard. It's never been difficult. It's always somebody who's very cheap. It's a street type player. Um, you know, it's Anthony Mitchell. It's it's a seventh round draft pick, like uh, like Jerome Sapp was, or who's the guy Ralph Staten was originally. It's it's going to the street and getting the most they've ever spent was to get Harris, and that was a four year deal, and and they you know they really got value out of that uh, Nakamura. You know, all of the guys they've gotten to play this role have been. Super cheap. Levine, as well, was UDFA and he, you know, free agent when he came to the Ravens. They're out there. They are out there to be had. It, it, you know, it takes some understanding of who was in the league the year before and who got a little bit of playing time that maybe the Ravens' advanced scouting or, or uh, you know, scouting the other players in the league needs to just be at a higher level.
3: Yeah, I, I agree, and I think you know what moves they make in this offseason will be telling as to if they wanted to have that role being filled. Um, mm-hmm. in the coming year, or if they're going to try and do some of the same things that we saw this past year with being a more linebacker-heavy um, kind of personnel package.
2: Now, we're we're here to talk about the inside linebackers, and we're pretty much done with that. But I did want to ask you, do you think the signing of Jordan Richards is an indication um, that the Ravens really feel like they're okay with him as the first man up if anything happens to either Elliott or Clark? Um,
3: I don't think so. I think they like him as a special teamer, mm-hmm. um, and I, th- I think maybe he's someone that they see as like an you know, emergency reserve who could play safety for them,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but I don't think they've seen enough out of him to say he's someone
2: that they can rely on to be your, your third safety. I, I, I don't see that. Okay, because he had played a fair amount in Atlanta before he came here, and he never played, obviously, he basically has played almost no snaps with the Ravens in his time here. But it, it, it may be that between practice and you know the the, the safety rum and whatnot that they've decided, you know what? It's not maybe it's not ideal, but he can be our third safety, and we'll bring him in and play him deep if we have to, and we'll move Clark up to the box, or we'll do whatever we need to in dime situations. Even uh, if if they found that, I don't think they can get through 2021 without drafting a safety in some round. And I'd be okay if they draft a free safety in round one. I'd be okay if they draft a. a prototypical Ozzie some dime safety in round six. But, but either way, they need to make a move at safety, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, absolutely agree. I, th- I think it's, you know, safety and outside linebacker are the two positions that are most kind of glaring on the defense in terms of there needs to be some, you know, talent that's added to it.
2: All right. It's always a pleasure to have you on, Gabe. Great stuff always. And, and uh, we really encourage you to go out and check out Gabe and Jordan's show. It's outstanding. The Situation Room. Uh, give that a listen to you. Anything else? Your Twitter handle want to talk about?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, you can follow me at Gabe Fergie on, on Twitter. Um, I've kind of not been on Twitter so much after, you know, the end of the NFL season it's kind of a dead time for me. I'm probably going to start looking at some, some prospects pretty soon and start you know tweeting about some potential um, players that I like for the Ravens in an upcoming draft. You know, I, I generally do a little bit of a, a dive into that, um, and that. And that time is, is coming up sooner rather than later. So definitely um, if you'd like to talk about draft, um, I'd love to, you know, hear some thoughts about different players and I'll, and I'll take a look at every, anybody that anybody wants me to you know, dig into.
2: All right. Outstanding Gabe. We'll try and get you for a particular draft show, but also uh, we'd love to have you on for uh, one of two days of draft coverage. We do either day one or day two and uh, day two may be kind of exciting for the Ravens with some extra picks this year. Uh, actually they have one third only and they traded one third, didn't they for Ngakwe? Be good. Not as good as last year was with (laughs) all the picks on day two, but, uh, uh, but we'd love to have you on for that. If you'd like to do a a film study short, send me three bullet points, either to my email filmstudy21 at verizon.net or on Twitter. That's fine as well. Focus topic. You always go right to the top of the list. I'll be recording with you in a day or two. And we try and put out, uh, as much of this interactive commentary as we can, where we get as many different views as possible, uh, just be passionate about the topic, is all I ask, and 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 have a position you'd like to espouse on it. Three bullet points, and uh, and we'll get right to you. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Gabe, and uh, really appreciate having you on.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kenneth. I always enjoy coming on the show.
2: And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
1: Lowe's, we're your go to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $288 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, US only excludes Alaska and Hawaii.